wasn't by design, but it's appropriate that they uh, that Jason shared today, because their lives over this past nearly year and a half are a demonstration of the truths that we're going to find today in Philippians chapter four, ten through nineteen. Now that's where we're going to going to get our text. If you want to turn there, we'll read here in a few minutes. Their lives have demonstrated the truth that the Apostle Paul shared, and that is the title of my message today and is the content of Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now we're continuing our Fridge-Worthy series, Encouraging Truths for Everyday Life, and uh, have today's Encouraging Truth on our handy-dandy refrigerator here, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If you guys choose to do this with your own refrigerators, I would love for you to take pictures of it and send it in to me. I'd love to see you deface your refrigerator the same way that I continue to do this one. Uh, anyway, it's, I thought it was best you could see it that way. So we're going to read Philippians 4, 10 through 19 here in a few minutes. But before we do, I want to highlight that Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul to believers in Philippi, specifically to thank them for a financial gift that they had sent to help provide for his needs. Uh, Paul was extremely grateful for the kindness that they had shown him, the care that they had for him, and, and he was especially grateful because he was aware that they had not given to him out of their abundance, but that they had given to him even though they themselves were facing a lack and even though they themselves were quite poor. Those who didn't have much themselves gave in order to meet the practical needs of the apostle. So that was the occasion of the writing, but throughout the letter, Paul encourages them in many ways, including the truths that we're going to discover today. But before we get to those truths, before we get to our text, I think that we can only fully appreciate what we're going to read today if we understand some things about the Apostle Paul's life. The Apostle Paul lived an incredibly difficult life. I mean, stunningly difficult was this man's life. His was not the life of a 21st century prosperity gospel TV preacher. That was not his life. His problems were not things like needing a private jet to avoid the inconvenience of commercial air travel for his missionary journeys. That was not what the Apostle Paul faced. The Apostle Paul lived an extraordinarily difficult life. And he wrote a little bit about his difficult life in, the second, in his second letter to the Corinthians. And here are just a few things we learn about Paul's difficulties from 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. We're not going to read that. I'm just going to highlight some of these things. In those verses, he tells us that on five occasions, he received 39 lashes at the hands of his countrymen. Now imagine that. Didn't happen to him once, twice, three times, five times this happened to him. On three occasions, he was beaten with rods by the Romans. One time, he was stoned. Three times with stones throwing at him. Never mind. 
I just thought I better clarify, but you guys were not thinking as irreligiously as I thought you might be. So anyway, he was stoned with stones. Humor is risky, and I regret my risk. So, all right. Three times he was shipwrecked, and on one of those occasions, he spent an entire day and night in the open sea. Think about that. He faced natural dangers from traversing rivers, dangerous rivers. He faced danger from robbers. He faced danger from the Jewish leaders. He faced danger from the Romans. It didn't matter where he was, the apostle says, whether he was on the sea, in the country, or in the city, he was constantly surrounded by danger. And he was even betrayed and faced dangers from people who claimed to be his brothers and sisters, from people who claimed to be believers, but were actually false brothers. He says that he suffered many sleepless nights. He says that he suffered hunger and thirst. He says that he was often without food. He was cold and he even often lacked adequate clothing. He was imprisoned many times. He was near death many times. And in addition to all of this, he had the pressure of caring for all of the churches that he started. And we haven't even mentioned to this point his thorn in the flesh that uh, most of us have heard about, some believing that was probably a physical ailment of some type that troubled Paul throughout his life. And so it's important to keep in mind the difficulties of Paul's own life as we consider our text today, because in the text, Paul tells the Philippians, and he tells us, that no matter what happens to us in life, no matter the circumstances of our lives, no matter how difficult things might be, we can be content in any and every circumstance of life. Now, coming from the Prosperity Gospel TV preacher who lives in a multi-million dollar mansion and travels the world in his own private jet, it might be sort of difficult to receive this message if you're going through something that's pretty hard. But coming from the Apostle Paul, considering all that he faced in life, we should be receptive to his message and we should be attentive to what he shares about how he was able to face everything in his life and remain content through all of the difficulties. And so let's go ahead now and read the text, Philippians 4, 10 through 19. I'll read, you follow along, either in your Bible or I think it'll be on the screen uh, behind me. Here's what Paul wrote. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him, Christ, who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, 
When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I just listed out all of the difficulties and trouble that Paul faced in life. But even though Paul's life was literally full of trouble, Paul says that he was content. He says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now let's think about all of the things we just learned about Paul's life. 39 lashes on five different occasions and content. Shipwrecked on three occasions and content. This one really gets me. A day and night drifting on the open sea and content. I can tell you I'm not living in that space. <laughs> I, I don't think I've gotten to that place. Imprisoned and content. Recovering from having been stoned and content. Hungry, thirsty, and cold and content. Paul says that he was content, he was content in all those situations. So what's it mean to be content? Well, what is it to be content in all circumstances? Well, if you look up the dictionary definitions of it, I actually think they're pretty good. Uh, here are some of the things you'll find in the dictionary. Having desires limited to that which one has. So Paul's saying, no food, but I'm content. You'll find others that say a state of peaceful happiness, drifting on the open sea, but I'm still peacefully happy. I think those are pretty good definitions, actually. Paul said he was okay with little or much. His desires were satisfied by whatever he had at any particular moment. And, and we know from other stories from the life of Paul that he was able to be peaceful and happy in really difficult circumstances. One of the places we see evidence of this is Acts 16, 22 through 25, which is the story of Paul and Silas in prison singing praises to God. Let, let me read you just a little bit about the story. It says that the crowd rose up together against Paul and Silas, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Okay? So, so, uh, so the crowd is against them. The, the magistrates have torn off their robes. They've been beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they then threw them into prison and commanded the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet 
in stocks. So just imagine the picture. Clothes ripped off, beaten, imprisoned, your feet are in stocks. And then Acts 16 goes on, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Okay, I get that part. But they weren't just praying. They were singing hymns of praise to God. Singing hymns of praise to God in that circumstance. It's amazing. That is a picture of contentment. Life unbelievably difficult, but singing praises to God. The enemy of our souls tells us lies about life and contentment. Here are some of the lies the enemy tells us. The enemy tells us that contentment is entirely dependent on circumstances. The enemy tells us that contentment will only come when we have more than what we have right now. I can't be satisfied with what I have now. I can only be satisfied. I can only be content if I have more than I have now. I can only be at peace. I can only be content if I have more money, more possessions, a bigger house, a nicer car, a better vacation. Paul says that we can be content when we are hungry and without adequate clothing. The enemy tells us that we can't be content until we have enough money saved for a 40-year retirement keeping up the same standard of living that we had at our maximum peak earning. Paul says we can be content in a prison cell without a single dollar to our name. I can tell we need this message because you don't believe Paul. I don't think you believe Paul. The enemy wants us to believe we can only be content if we have more than what we have now. And then we get more than what we have now. And then he tells us we can only be content if we have more than we have now. And it never ends. Have you seen this in your own life? I've seen it. The first little house Michelle and I bought cost us $45,000. And I remember the day that I walked into that house after having clothes on, I fell on my knees and I thanked God for the gift of that house. And five months later, I couldn't wait to get out of there. <laughs> now, there were some circumstances around that, but I couldn't wait to get out of there. Then I remember the first house that we bought in Columbus. It was in Eastmore on Mound Street. And it was a little two-bedroom, one-bath house. Actually, if I could have that house in Pataskala today, I would sign up for that right now. I actually really did love that house. But I reached a point where it's like, okay, now I'm ready to move to Pickerington. Get a bigger house, a nicer house. I can remember when we moved into our house in Pataskala. I felt like, yeah, 
I never need anything more than this. And then about three years in, I'm like, Realtor.com, what else is available? <laughs> and this is just what happens to us. We, we aren't satisfied with what we have now, and then we get more, and then we're still not satisfied with what we have now. It never ends. The enemy also tells us that happiness and peace are totally dependent on the circumstances of our lives. I can remember when I was a pre-teenager thinking that, oh, when I finally become a teenager, then life is going to be what I've been waiting for. <laughs> and then I became one, and that was not true. <laughs> it was not true. Then we can't be content until we drive. Then we can't be content until we get out of high school. I, rem I remember... I had idolized going to Ohio State so much. I had built it up so big in my mind. Like, when I finally can go to Ohio State, then everything will be right with the world. And I remember one January morning parking my car 18 miles away from the building that I needed to be at, <laughs> walking through the cold, slipping on the ice, and saying to myself, I hate this place. <laughs> Then we can't be content until we graduate college. Can't be content single. Can't be content until we have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Then we can't be content until we're married. And then we can't be content because we're married. <laughs> can't be content with the spouse we have. Need a, need a different one. Sadly, sometimes we find a different one. And then we can't be content with that one either. And it just goes on and on and on. Can't be content because we've lost a loved one. Can't be content because our parents are aging. Can't be content because we have a chronic health problem. Can't be content because there are problems with our kids. Can't be content because Donald Trump's the president. Can't be content because Barack Obama's the president. Can't be content because my neighbor is an insufferable jerk. Can't be content because the Cleveland Browns aren't any good, even though they were supposed to be. Can't be content because the Bengals are even worse. Can't be content because even though the Buckeyes are playing really well, they still haven't won the national championship, and I can only be content if they win the national championship. Can't be content because we're in a conflict with a friend at church. It just goes on and on and on. The enemy and our own sinful hearts tell us that we cannot be content until we have everything just the way we want it. Every circumstance in life is exactly as we imagined it to be. We certainly cannot be content in difficulty. We certainly can't be content when life is hard. We can't be content when troubles are prevalent in our lives. And the Apostle Paul says to us and says to all of that, that is not true. You do not need any of that to be content. The Apostle Paul says you don't need stuff and you don't need just the right circumstances. You don't need everything to be easy and the water's always smooth to be content. You can be content 
even if none of that is true in your life. You can. You can be content with none of that being true. Paul, who lived an incredibly difficult life, tells us that we don't need any of that to be at peace, to be happy, to be okay with how things are. He says in our text that he has, quote, learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. If you feel like life is difficult for you, Paul is a really good person to listen to about how to be content in every situation because life was so incredibly difficult for him. And he had learned the secret and he shared his learnings with the Philippians and through the gift that we call the Bible, we are able to see what Paul learned about contentment. And so what he shared with them, he shares with us today. We see in Philippians, uh, if I said, yeah, I hope I said Philippians. We see in Philippians 4, 10 through 19, two truths that Paul had learned about being content in every circumstance of life. Two truths that Paul had learned that enabled him to be okay no matter what was happening in his life, whether it was really good or whether it was really bad. And here's the first one. Paul had learned that contentment comes from putting your trust in the unfailing power of God. In verse 13, Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. If you've been around here any length of time, you may remember that this is one of my favorite verses to demonstrate a really important truth of Bible study. And that truth is that all meaning is context dependent. Can we all say that? All meaning is context dependent. Verse 13 has been misused so many times in churches that it's really sad. Verse 13 is not a verse that's intended to teach the type of things that you would hear at a Tony Robbins seminar. It's not. You know, things like anything your mind can conceive, you can achieve. There's nothing you can't do if you just set your mind to it. Can I share with you, there are some things that I cannot do, no matter how I set my mind to it. I cannot play professional basketball. No, let me back up. I could not play high school basketball. <laughs> no matter how much I set my mind to it. No matter how many game-winning shots I hit in my driveway, I could not make it past the first day of tryouts for high school basketball. I could not be a basketball player, no matter how I set my mind to it. If I was privileged to, to play a tennis match with Roger Federer, I would never win a single point, even if I dedicated my entire life to winning one point. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. The context determines what verse 13 means. 
And it means the kind of things that we're discussing today. It isn't you can achieve whatever your mind conceives, but rather it is no matter what you're going through in life right now, whether things are good for you or whether things are bad for you, you can make it and you can be content and you can have the peace of God in your situation. How? It's through the unfailing power of God who provides strength for us that we do not have in ourselves, who sustains us through all seasons of life, even when we don't see or understand how he's doing it, and even when we're quite convinced that he's not doing it. Even then, God is sustaining us. Remember, Paul said that he learned the secret to contentment. Experience had taught him this. Experience had taught him that God's power was sufficient for every circumstance of life. You may remember the story of when Paul had appealed to God to remove this, this mysterious thorn in the flesh, whatever, whatever it was. And you may remember that Paul did not get the answer from God he wanted. He wanted God to take it away. But instead, what God told him was this. My grace is sufficient. I'm not going to take it away from you, Paul. But my grace will be sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So what did Paul do when he got that message? Did he rail against God? Did he, oh, I thought God was good, but God's not really good, or he would have taken this thing away from me? No, that's not what Paul did. Here's how, here's how Paul responded. Therefore, I can hardly wrap my brain around what he says here. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul could be content in all circumstances, good and bad, plenty and want, drifting on the open sea, recovering from a beating, hungry and cold, because he had learned that Christ would provide the strength he needed in every circumstance of life. Listen to this real carefully. Paul had discovered that there was not a single situation that he was called to face where Jesus was not with him and where Jesus was not enough for him. And so he had learned to be content. He had learned that Christ was sufficient for every circumstance he would ever go through in life. Trusting the unfailing power of God brings contentment. And here's the second truth Paul had learned about contentment. Contentment comes from putting our trust in the unchanging promise of God. Paul says to the believers at Philippi, who had sent him this offering, not out of their abundance, these were poor people, they had sent him the offering sacrificially. Sacrificially. He encourages them with a truth that he had learned in his own life. Verse 19. 
My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. That God will meet all of our needs is a promise that runs throughout the Bible. In the Sermon on the Mount, the end of chapter 6 is a beautiful encouragement from Jesus not to worry about our lives and the material needs that we have because God will take care of us. He tells us that our focus should simply be on God's kingdom and righteousness and that if that's what we'll focus on, that God will take care of everything else that we need. You can read about that in Matthew 6, 28 through 33 later today if you would like to do that. Now I want to point something out here. Paul assured the Philippians that God would provide their needs. But this same Paul admitted in 2 Corinthians that he had gone through times where he was hungry, cold, and did not have adequate clothing. He had been beaten and stoned. He had drifted for a day and night on the open sea. And here's something we have to realize. How God takes care of us isn't always how we'd choose for him to take care of us, but he always takes care of us. He does. God was taking care of Paul when Paul was hungry. God was taking care of Paul when he was on the open sea. God was taking care of Paul as crazy as it is for us to, to understand this, as hard as it is to understand. God was taking care of Paul while he was being beaten 39 times. 39 lashes. In the early years of the church, this church, I issued a challenge to our congregation. I challenged everyone to begin tithing, even if they didn't think they could do it. Brian, how'd you work tithing into this sermon? Well, here's how. Here's how. I assured them that if they got to the end of the year, I think it was around September, October that I issued this challenge, that if they got to the end of the year and they weren't able to survive without the money that they had given, that they could come and let me know and that the church would return to them everything that they had given in that period of time. By the way, I think our giving increased around 60% when I made that challenge, and it never went back to where it was before that. So I'm thinking of issuing the challenge again. <laughs> so, I mean, it has been about 12 years, so we could try this again. So anyway, the end of the year came and went, and no one ever came and told me that they couldn't make it without the money they had given, which is what I knew would be true, because I've seen this in my own life. I can give or not give, and at the end of the month, I'm in about the same spot. It's just something God seems to do. It's amazing. It's amazing. So I, so I knew this would be the case. Um, but probably, I, I guess around two years later, uh, someone came to me and they said this. They said, hey, do you remember that giving challenge you made a couple years ago? Where, where you said that the church would give back all the money we given we had given if we couldn't make it without it. And I acknowledged that I remember that. And they continued and they said, well, we never came to you and asked for it back, but really we should have because we actually couldn't make it. He continued, we're doing fine now, 
But back then, it was really difficult. Now, I'm a reasonably polite person. And so I said something like this. Well, if you had come and asked, you know, we would have honored the challenge. But inside, if I could be honest, I had a different reaction to the situation. My first thought was, you look like you made it to me. Here you are. Sometimes doing what we should do is difficult, I continued to think. But you're okay. And the truth is, you were okay even when it was difficult. I knew you during that time. You didn't starve. You were never homeless. You still had your cars and multiple cell phones in the house. And now that God has provided you with a great job and many blessings that weren't in your life right at that moment, you're doing really well. And so the conclusion of my sort of ungracious thinking toward the, toward the gentleman was, your story still proves the challenge. Your needs have been met this entire time. Friends, God does not put himself on the hook for all of our wants. He doesn't put himself on the hook for making sure 21st century Americans can always live a solid middle class lifestyle. God does not tell us things will always go well with us. He promises to meet our needs. Now I'm nearing the end of this message. And I'd love to wrap this sermon up in a way that encourages you that everything is always going to turn out all right for you and that God is always going to answer every problem you have in the way that you would like it answered. You know, we all want that. We all want the way that God moves in our lives is a happy ending to the story in the here and now. And Christians spend a lot of time telling themselves, telling each other, that that's how things are going to turn out. Things do not always turn out that way. They don't. I don't think that's the point of Philippians 4, 10 through 19. I want you to understand that this same Apostle Paul, who has shared that he can do everything through Christ who gives him strength, and who shared that God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, this same Apostle Paul, tradition tells us, was eventually beheaded for his faith in Christ. And here's the truth, friends, that I believe that God wants us to grab hold of today. At the very moment that the executioner's sword ended the Apostle Paul's life on earth, it was in that moment true that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And it was still true that God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It was still true. One of the most powerful things I've ever witnessed at a Christian conference that I've attended was when Matt Chandler, a wildly successful pastor, 32 years old, was diagnosed with brain cancer, 
and told he would not live beyond three years. He's still alive today, 10, 12 years later, completely cancer-free and doing well. But a conference that I was at a few years ago, he was preaching and he said, everybody always comes up to me and says, oh, Matt, God has been so good to you. He healed you. He's extended your life. Like, your ministry is thriving. God has been so good to you. And Matt looked at the conference and he said, friends, here's the truth. If I had not outlived my diagnosis, if I would have already died and been buried, God would have still been good to me. The secret that Paul had learned, the secret to his contentment really comes down to this. In every circumstance of life, God is with us. And in every circumstance in life, God is enough for us. Even when the worst happens, God is with us and God is enough for us. There's a song that we used to sing in the churches that I grew up in that just still is in my mind a lot. The only part of it I remember at least, and here's what it says. He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. He satisfies my needs supplied. Jesus is all I need. Now I realize that this most recent thought doesn't seem like the kind of thing we might want to put on the fridge. I doubt you're going to put on there. Note about my future death. I can do all things through Christ. I know you're probably not going to put that on your fridge. But there are fridge-worthy truths here that are encouragements for us in everyday life. And here are a few of them. No matter the circumstances of my life, I can make it because Christ empowers me and meets my needs. Here's a good one. In good times and bad times, God is enough for me. And here's a good one that really is just a good summary of Philippians 4.13 there. God is everything I need. God is everything I need. A few weeks ago, I attended a David Jeremiah event at Nationwide Arena with the Sextons and the Lefflers. And the theme of the evening was exactly that truth. God is everything I need. And uh, they passed out armbands with that message on it, and I'm wearing my armband today. It says, God is everything you need. I read it. God is everything I need. Whether you wear it on an armband to remind you, or whether you write it on your fridge, or whether you write it on your bathroom mirror, this is the truth that Paul had learned. It is who God wants to be for each of us. And we will be able to get through anything and everything life ever throws at us when we embrace this life-giving, freeing truth that Jesus is always with us. He is always enough. He is everything that we need. What is it in your life right now that's a circumstance that you feel is too big for you? 
What, what challenge are you facing that's causing you to struggle to have the peace of God? What is it that just seems too difficult? What, what is it that has you feeling like you don't have enough to be satisfied? Maybe finances are a real struggle for you right now. Paul says to you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Maybe there's a relational fracture uh, in your life right now that just has really wounded you very deeply. Paul says to you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Maybe you're facing a chronic health problem or you're facing a, a serious health problem with someone that you love. Paul says to you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Whatever it is, we can make it through all circumstances because Christ strengthens us and provides the power that we need in every situation. You can trust the unfailing power of God and you can trust the unfailing promise of God. You really can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So my encouragement to you today is that whatever you're facing, may you believe these truths that we have talked about today, and may you walk in the contentment that Christ provides. 